Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, I have a friend who has a 16-year-old son who was mugged a couple of years ago. He'd been to a big concert in Sydney and was heading back to the train station when he was mugged by a gang of boys. He was traumatized to the point that he developed PTSD and wouldn't leave the house. And my friend was really worried that he was in fact developing agoraphobia, which is a type of anxiety disorder where the person, or in this case, her son is afraid to leave environments that they know and consider to be safe because they're fearful of having a panic attack or an anxiety attack. Now, I didn't see my friend for a couple of months. And when I did, I asked how her son was doing and she told me, he was cured, that he'd actually undertaken something called EMDR therapy and it had helped him to eliminate the effects of the trauma that he had experienced, which, you know, I thought was amazing because she had shared with me, you know, vividly about how much he was struggling after being mugged. It was really traumatic for him. Now, I've never heard of this therapy before and I want to know more. Because we all experience stressful and or traumatic events at one time or another, some worse than others. And through the charity that I run, Got Your Back Sister, I meet women every day who are living with PTSD as a result of the domestic violence that they've experienced. So I'm always curious about the processes or treatments that can help women heal from the trauma that they've suffered. And I'm very curious to know more about EMDR. So... I have a very special guest in here with me today. She's amazing. She's super soulful. Her name is Tracy Lynch. Hello, Trace. How are you going? Good morning. I'm very well. Thanks, Mel. I'm so glad to have you here, my friend. Now, Tracy, if you haven't heard of Tracy, Tracy is the founder and owner of the Thrive Wellness Hub, and she's a counselor specializing in relationship coaching, anxiety support, self-worth issues, and trauma processing. That sounds like bang on. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And so Tracy holds a Bachelor of Education, a postgraduate degree in counselling, a Diploma of Clinical Hypnotherapy, a Set for in Training and Assessment, a Clinical Certificate in Ego State Therapy, Resource Therapy, EMDR Practitioner. Oh, my Lord. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of words and letters after your name, big Trace. Mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that you are highly qualified and very experienced. I am. Yeah. I've been in the, I guess, supporting people game now for almost 30 years um, and most recently have become very passionate about what we would call trauma-informed therapies. So the two trauma-informed therapies that I've more recently studied in and um, certified in are resource therapy or parts therapy and, of course, EMDR therapy. And so why do people come to you for counselling generally? So I guess, broadly speaking, people come to me because they want change. And that's either change within the relationship. So um, couples change within their relationship or individuals who just feel really stuck. And it may be that they feel stuck in recent trauma or trauma that has happened in their childhood or in their past. And I think it is really helpful too 
at this point, if I define what trauma is. That would be great because I think it means something different to, to many, many different people. That's right. So I guess it's only really been recently that that definition has been broadened. So in the past, trauma, I guess, would have been seen as what we would call big T trauma, which is a one-off event um, that has completely overwhelmed a person. So like if you're in a car accident or... Been uh, a, a rape victim, yep. sexual assault, domestic violence, got held up, held up um, by a gun. Yep. That, they, we would class, classify that as big T trauma. But we also now know that there is this phenomenon called small T trauma, and that is any any time that our system goes into overwhelm, where we lose contact with our logical brain. And we're coming purely from our fight or flight system. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that lots of little T trauma where we are being activated regularly has the same impact as, as big T trauma. So if you were being bullied at school or something like that, continually bullied. Exactly. Which is, uh, uh, I had on um, Hey Soul Sister last year, I had the guest um, Emma Thompson who wrote the book Once Upon Insanity Mm -hmm. and she talks about her experience of having a complete psychotic breakdown and being um, institutionalised. And, you know, when we talk about, and she has in her book, you know, how did she get to that place it was you know constant schoolyard bullying Mm -hmm. you know and it had that such an impact on her throughout her life that she um you know went into severe anxiety depression and then psychotic breakdown that's right and so one of the things that I've come to learn is that when we go into that fight or flight response and our amygdala is activated if there isn't good support and a way for us to understand and integrate and be validated around that event then it's like those instances get stuck and then we make beliefs about ourselves and the world around us. So, for an example, with someone that has been a victim of bullying, it would be very reasonable for them to come up with a belief that says, I'm not safe or yep. I'm not enough, I'm not good enough or I'm left yep. out always or I'm, I'm a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Com- makes complete sense. Yes. Yeah. And because if there hasn't been good, thorough, complete processing around that incident, it almost becomes like a hook that sits over one side of the brain. So then a whole lot of other stuff starts to get stuck on that hook. And constantly, it's like that trauma is still going on, even if 10 years has passed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I suppose I I see that. I mean, through Got Your Back, sister. I mean, and many of those women, it's probably closer to big T stuff. But, you know, they can talk about things that possibly happened in their childhood that still triggers now. That's it. And so when we when our it's called sensory experience memory so that's when when our body activates and we feel those feelings even though what happened isn't happening now that's a signal to us that there is still some unprocessed business going on about that past trauma yeah 
It's funny, I was talking to my sister about this just recently and we were having a conversation and she said to me, Mel, every time we talk about this particular topic, she said, you get fired up. It's like you're triggered by something. So, and, I, and I've been reflecting on that going, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and doing that inner work. Going, yep. okay, okay, so why is that triggering? What's happened? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that question, what's happened. So often in in trauma-informed therapy, we will steer away from what's wrong with you or what's wrong with me and move to what has happened for me. Yes. What is going on? You know, you might have seen that that great diagram of the, the anger iceberg yep. where at the top is the frustration, the rage, the anger, and underneath there is rejection or fear or a whole lot more sensitive feelings yeah. and our behaviour is the protector yeah. of those sensitive feelings. Yeah. Oh, and a lot mm. of work goes into trying to sort that out. Yeah, <laughs> The does. big part of the iceberg yeah. under the water. Yeah. You know yeah. what? And I would say discovering mindfulness for me has been huge in actually trying to process, you know, mm. like we've all got stuff. We've all got stuff. Everybody has got stuff. And if yep. you say you haven't got stuff, you're lying. Yep. If you just, if you say you haven't got stuff, then you've got stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just a cover. It's a cover up. So, yeah. yeah. And I know I'm forever like, you know, working through my stuff when it rears its little head up above the um, waterline. Yeah. yeah. And I think mindfulness actually takes us out of those thought loops. Yeah. So when we've, when we're still processing stuff that's we've all got that's sitting there we get into these thought loops that are what we would call maladaptive yeah and mindfulness puts a little like a little stop sign that brings us back to this present moment and helps us to engage with our adaptive and wise resources long enough so we're no longer functioning from fight or flight. Yep. We're fu- we're functioning from a different part of us, which can then help us to make better choices. So mindfulness is sort of like the middle of the road. Instead of being unregulated or really regulated, mindfulness is the path that we can pass through to help us to gain access to more logical parts of ourself. Can you explain that well? let's get soulful on social media search the sister code facebook page and follow us on instagram so do you see any common themes of why people come to you for counseling in terms of trauma like do you see any Mm. general like i imagine domestic violence could be a big one yeah Yeah. um i've definitely worked with had the privilege of working with like like you lots of Mm. women who've been through domestic violence the thing that that i would probably see a lot of is around people who have ha- who have not had healthy attachments in their childhood yep. yeah um so there's been there's been ruptures in the relationships those close relationships that we are designed to have as kids like um, with a parent or yeah with yep. parents or caregivers yeah and and a breakdown of trust and people Often when we're living with people that are unregulated themselves, we don't learn how to regulate. Yeah. And so what happens is, and there's lots of neuroscience behind this, that, that there's these amazing things called mirror neurons. So if I'm a little girl and I am freaking out because there's a spider on the floor um, and my my caregivers get angry at me or try to shut me down, then I'm not going to learn how to deal with tricky emotions. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and if, 
if there is no one to show me how to deal with tricky emotions and the patterns in the family are we don't do emotions, then all I can do is just continually push them into myself. And because that's so uncomfortable, I will move into avoidance behaviours. Yes. Okay. That totally makes sense. And actually I'm ticking off some people in my life. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my husband and I quite often reflect about, you know, the the different things that you learn as a child. Yeah. I come from a family where we talk about everything and he comes from a family where they talk about nothing. Yep. And it's really interesting to see, you know, and and what's the right way. That's right. Somewhere in the middle. That's right. And that's probably one of the reasons that you were attracted to each other. Okay, I never thought about so, like that. So um, it's interesting. There's a relationship therapy called Imago Therapy, and it stands for internal image. It's Latin for internal image. And that theory would say that we will not be attracted to someone who doesn't trigger us in some way. Wow. Because <laughs> in a beautiful, healthy relationship where there's a willingness to journey together, we will be able to both attune yep. and empathise with each other around those needs and then heal like never before. Yep. Yeah, do you know what? If I was married to me, I'd drive myself insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think we all, I think we would all drive ourselves insane. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. So tell us about EMDR. What does it actually stand for? Sure. And I'm asking you to say that because I can hardly get those words out. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful. Okay, so it stands for... Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Yeah. What does that actually mean? What yeah, is that? That's, yeah, it's a good question. So I could probably talk all day about this. So I want to um, give you the abridged version. Yeah. So EMDR was was developed by a psychologist Francine Shapiro back in the seventies. She realised that when she she was on a bushwalk. And the light was flickering through the trees and her eyes were following the the light from left to right. And she'd actually had a really horrible morning. But once she got back from the walk, she realised that she could hardly remember what had gone on in the morning in the same intensity. So she was really fascinated about this. And she started to do lots of work around the impact of the eyes moving from left to right. And what we realise is it's actually a similar concept to what our brains do when we're in REM sleep. So when we're in REM sleep and we're dreaming and then our eyes are moving up and down really quickly, we've we've realised that they're actually moving left, right, left, right, left, right. Now, in one side of the brain, that's the amygdala, that's where those really raw emotions sit, often because we've been through fight or flight, freeze, fawn, and they're still sitting there. The right side of our brain is the hippocampus. That's like the storage library of our memories, but they have no charge left. They're processed. They're done. They've integrated into a whole lot of logic and wisdom. Yeah. Yep. And so what they've what they now understand and they're still that we're still understanding about EMDR because of the amazing results yep. is that through the bilateral stimulation. So m- most EMDR therapists would still get you to follow their fingers with their eyes to access left right brain left right brain but we now know it's actually not necessarily about the eyes it's about the activation of the left hemisphere of your brain and the right hemisphere so sometimes I'll use what's called therotappers so I put them in people's hands and they just buzz and again 
it's following left, right, left, right, left, right, while we activate the trauma or we activate the memory to the point where people feel it. It's no good just thinking about it. You've got to feel it to heal it. But before I activate that hard stuff, there's a protocol that I would have activated some really good stuff, some really good resources, and there's ways that we can do that for everyone. Yep. Yeah. So we've activated the good gear, then we're going to wake up the hard stuff through the bilateral stimulation, and the brain pulls the hard stuff out of the amygdala across into the hippocampus. So it's like processing over into the memory un- with no, no charge, no emotional charge. That's right. No, yeah, that's right. That's amazing. It is it's it's a miracle as far as I'm concerned because I I've worked with people that have you know the, the rape went on in that street they will drive miles around to avoid that street can't go down that street and after EMDR they can drive down the street or people that have always had a belief of this is quite a common one they've grown up in a family where they feel like I'm responsible and they feel like they're responsible for everyone and everything yes then they get into a relationship and that can rub people the wrong way because they're constantly trying to step in and be responsible. And after EMDR, they can now, instead of the belief of I'm responsible, they really can believe I can choose where I want to be responsible. Yeah. Or like your friend at the fest, at the, the yeah. young fella. Yes, yeah, so that's a great example. So with, yeah. with, with him um, being mm-hmm. mugged mm-hmm. and is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder from that, yep. what – Tell us about the process that you would go through. Sure. So obviously I want to get a history and I want to um, get a, 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 an understanding of um, what is going on for him, what resources he has in his life. Yep. I'd explain to him how EMDR works. So that'd probably be first, that'd be first session. Then we want to make sure that there is thorough resourcing done. So what I mean by that is I want to find out about this young person's strengths. I want to find out about... Uh, how in the past he's helped regulate himself. So we would introduce things like breathing, safe place, protector, like protector symbols, nurturing symbols. That's activating all of those really healthy, good pathways. I would never start EMDR without being fully sure that that is ready to go. Yes. Once I feel like that's ready to go, we've got those good resources activated, then we would – Try and understand what are the beliefs that have come out of that event for him. Yeah. So potentially something like that, it's going to be, I'm going to die. Yes. Or I'm not safe. Yes. It's also really interesting to see if there are any feeder memories behind that belief. Okay. So what's a feeder memory? What's yeah. that? So, like, it's like, so mm. an event that's happened in the past. Yep. Before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the, new, the neurological pathway is I'm not safe. And potentially that one-off event may just be a one-off event or it could be that there are other times when he has felt, I'm not safe. Yeah. They're what we call our feeder memories and they're, they're what we also call our targets. So we always start processing the strongest and the earliest memory because it will have given ground for that I'm not safe to take even more hold because there is already a previous belief about that. Yeah. So so let's yeah. just say he remembers, oh, 
one when I was little, I I fell off a swing, and I was really scared. Yeah. And and then we'd get a sense of when you talk about that now, is there any body sensation that comes up for you? And he might say, Yeah, I feel like I want to swallow all the time. Yeah. So we would start by processing that event with the bilateral simulation. Yeah. And we 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 use what's called sub scales, subjective units of distress. When he thinks about the falling off the swing, feeling scared and the belief I'm not safe. And through a number of sets of the bilateral simulation, the SUD scale drops down to zero out of 10. I can now think about that event and I don't feel anything. We know because of MRI scans that it changes the way the memory is stored in the brain. Really? Yeah. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So there's a a girl I know and um, I was talking to her. She was sharing with me about the um, violence and abuse that she had experienced and had both witnessed and experienced from a very young age Mm -hmm. all throughout her childhood, teenage years, then came, you know, um, went into an abusive relationship and she experienced emotional, physical and sexual abuse throughout her life. And it was really interesting when she was, telling me the story, I noticed that she was quite unemotional about it. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, I'm like, well, you know, cause I, I had a counselor with me while I was talking to her because I didn't want to re-traumatize her. I was really worried about that. And, um, I said, well, you seem quite okay having this conversation and telling me all these details. And she was like, yeah, I've had all this work. And that was one of the treatments yeah and yeah. I, so i get that you know you you talking about how repro like processing that trauma to the point where you it's no longer charged that's right emotionally charged i'm like well i i've seen that and yep. i was astounded because i know for many people they who had experienced that lifelong abuse yeah there's no way they could sit down and very calmly tell me about what had gone on for them that's right and so what happens is yeah so either that information has been processed and it's now in a different part of the brain and we can talk from it as a reporter rather than currently being in the fear or some people dissociate and are able to talk about it from a different state Yes, but the fear is still showing up in their life. Okay. Yeah, and the dissociation is a protector part. Yep. It's a way that they can survive. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But if you, but in, in terms of the EMDR, that's about processing that. Yes, yep. it's definitely about processing it. Yeah. But it takes a skilled pre- practitioner to know when that person is ready, so they will not be re-traumatized. I was actually going to ask you about that because I, um, when I shared an Instagram story, it was your quote. I think it was last week I shared that Instagram story because I I, I read that and I recalled my friend's son and everything. Yeah. And somebody sent me a message. A lady I know sent me a message and she said I've done EMDR and mm. I was totally traumatized. I yeah. couldn't go on and actually it didn't. I found the whole thing very distressing. Yep. So that's interesting. So. I suppose is when is EMDR the right thing for someone and when is it not? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I believe that EMDR can be useful for everyone. I've been through a lot of EMDR um, and it's amazing for those little T traumas when I notice I'm getting triggered, like when I've been triggered, 
right through to me processing growing up in a DV household. Yeah. Yep. But if that practitioner hasn't built a beautiful therapeutic relationship with the person, so that person feels really safe in their company, and that resourcing part where I said they've got to activate all of the really good resources first and have them on hand, and I have like a safety plan with my clients. So we talk about it's you're going to feel feelings because We've got to feel it to heal it. We've got to feel it to unlock it out of the amygdala so it can move across into the hippocampus. Yeah. Yep. Got to feel it. But if it's so strong that we are not present, like that mindfulness stuff, it's going to cause harm or at least do no good. Yeah. So it's very much about working within clients what we call zone of tolerance. Otherwise, it's no therapy is good therapy if you are not staying within the zone of tolerance. So I am very passionate about making sure that I never start EMDR with someone until I know they are going to be safe and that it's going to have a positive effect. Yeah. Okay. With the process, and you were talking about the bilateral Stimulation. stimulation, When I was reading about that, doing a bit of research, to me it sounded a little bit like kinesiology or tapping. Is, mm-hmm. is it similar? Uh, look, I know some of my colleagues and I'm nearly at this point where I can put my hand up to these things, will go overseas and work with disasters like when, in Thailand with the, um, with the tsunami yep. and they, they will get kids in a big circle and they'll get them to do what's called the butterfly hug. So we tap yeah. yeah. And I know that there are some therapies that also tap, all right? Yeah, EFT, emotional yeah. freedom technique. Now, that is we know that's a very calming on our nervous system with the tapping, yeah. but it's it's not a clinical tool. There's not clinical research behind yeah, the okay. protocol. Yeah. Um and the systems whereas EMDR has got thousands of research papers behind it. Kinesiology is more muscle testing. Yeah. So that's sort of listening to your body. I think it's great. I will often go and have kinesiology sessions, but again, it wouldn't be classed as a clinical tool. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the difference is they now have done they've it's been around for long enough that there's been quite a lot of research done on EMDR whereas some of those other therapies are they come from ancient systems, but they're still emerging in terms of the research. Yeah. I, I love kinesiology as well. I have mm. that done um, when I need to. I go and see the wonderful Bernadette O'Connor yeah. around my kinesiology. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, There's some real breakthroughs there yeah. um, that other therapies aren't able to access. Yeah. Mm. So how long does the process go for? If you begin the EMDR therapy process on somebody, it, like is it one session, five sessions? Yeah, so it's, it's very unlikely. It's never one session. Yeah. So it really depends on the complexity of what's going on. Um, but again, there's the like the, there's eight phases, and the preparation and the and the resourcing and all of that is the start of it. Yeah. So people often will say, "When are we going to get to the the tap it?" You know the you know, and yeah. that's really only a part yes. of the of the whole therapy. Yeah. So on average, most of my clients would come for for six yeah. around six, sometimes four, um, if it's. So, you know, if it's one-off trauma with no feeder memories, yep. we can get through it quite quickly. But if there's feeder memories, then we, we're going to go and we're going to collapse those feeder memories. Yep. And that takes longer. 
Yeah. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. When I've had kinesiology done, I've had some like weird little spooky spiritual moments. Does that ever happen arise with EMDR? Um, so, or is it more because it's more a clinical practice? Well, it really, again, depends on who you see. Yeah. So I've got colleagues that are psychologists that use it as a very clinical tool. Yes. I guess I am someone who is very interested in rolling out therapy in a professional clinical way, but I also do it from a place of being quite an empath, quite intuitive. Because that's my sense of you. Yeah. yeah, it's always been that you have that that you have that little bit of the soulful spiritual side to you as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, there's some there's some pretty magical stuff that goes down in those sessions. Not always, obviously, yeah. but I'm very open. Um, and I don't know if you know Mel, but I'm an Indigenous woman. No, oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm uh, I my ancestors are Wiradjuri Nation down Tari. Yeah. Sorry, down in Wagga Wagga and Birupai up at Tari. Yeah. And there will be moments when I definitely have a sense that there's more going on in the room than just the clinical stuff. Yes. Um, and for some people, they're very open to that and we can work within that realm and others yep. aren't and we still get great results. Yeah. Do you go into or the person that's having the EMDR therapy, do they ever go into a trance-like state? No, I guess that's probably the difference between sort of say clinical hypnotherapy yes. where they would not remember sometimes not always remember the whole session they definitely are in processing mode yes so they are very in the moment yes but we are but people always remember the full session yeah okay and we're very interested in them being able to notice what's going on so we want to have what we call the dual attention of the old memories and the here and now because that's that right brain left brain so that dual that that the the dual stimulation of we're activating the old stuff and activating what we know about the here and now that's how we get that bridge and the connection to release it out of the amygdala and over into the hippocampus and does it change your neural pathways for then how you go on and think you know so if something an event arises that you actually respond in that different way a hundred percent. Yeah. That's that's the gold. Yeah. Right there. So I've had a lot of clients say that, yeah, like especially over Christmas, I was at the table with those relatives and normally I'd be all churned up in the stomach or my shoulders would be tight, but I just could sit there thinking something very different to what I've ever think and feel something very different from what I've ever felt before. Okay, Trey, so I have a list as you're talking. I <laughs> don't we all I, love? Don't we all? I have a list of issues that <laughs> I think I need to come to you about and we're going we're gonna to work through. Yeah. We're going to work through some of those issues. I love it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I suppose at the end of the day, um, as I regularly say, we just want to live the best happiest, like, you know, calm life that we can. That's what we want. That's right. And I think that for me now, I realise that actually means being mostly able to live in this present moment. Yes. So I'm not dipping back into old stories or worrying about what might happen. Yeah. And that's one of the gifts of EMDR is I think it helps us to reorientate back into living a life that is driven by our values, not our feelings. I love it. 
Yeah. Because our feelings are so unreliable. That's right. They're so unreliable. They, they come and go and it depends on what part is in the driver's seat, what yeah. feelings it has, whereas our values are not. Our values stay. Values are, values are our anchors. They don't oh, change. Trace, I love that. I've never thought about that. But, yeah, it's true. I, and I just know, um, yeah, emotions, feelings, they're fleeting, but they're so unreliable. And yeah. you, and sometimes you just you can't let yourself get sucked into those That's right. those feelings because yeah. it's like the whole monkey mind. It's just crazy chatter talk. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of us will have the resources to be able to notice, oh, that's just a feeling. Hello, feeling, you're there, and be able to notice that. Yep. But others, if there's been feeder memories that have driven those feelings for so long and we can't, we don't feel like we've got the ability to put it aside, that would be a signal that EMDR could be useful. Oh, my Lord. See, when you said that, I just came up with five other things I need to, <laughs> issues I need to come see, have that done about. Cause, because, yeah. okay, we just want to clear them. Yep. Like, really? Yeah. We, we just... I don't want to have issues. Yep. Don't want to. Like, you just want to clear them and just be happy and go and live live like a monk. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what I mean? But but have calmness, joy, yeah. and as you say, just yeah. live, live a, in the present. And Yep. Have the resources to deal with what comes up in the here and now rather than feel like we've, yeah, we, we become reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I would am really curious about this. I, I like to ask people um, who come on Hey Soul Sister, you know, what they've learned about other people or themselves or life. Mm. Now, as somebody who has been um, working with people, healing people, a counsellor for a very long time, what have you learned about people? Mm. So I think probably one of my most rich learnings that's probably only come in the last few years is People mostly do the best they can with what they've got. And so I really resonate with that. It's not what's wrong with you or it's not what's what what's wrong with them. It's what, like, I'm much more curious about, I wonder what's happened for them that they feel that that behaviour is okay. Yeah. So I think that's helped me to become potentially more gracious. Everybody has a story. And often what we see is what is going on up in the iceberg and potentially they haven't had the support or the whereabouts to be able to dig deep down under the iceberg and heal what's happened to them so therefore they can behave differently. Yeah. What have you learnt about yourself? Yeah. I'm a work in progress. (laughs) I've learnt to be a lot more compassionate with all the parts of me. Um, So I've got some great resources and I've got some parts that are still in process and still learning and that's okay. And I'm learning that when I fall off the horse wagon, then I can get back on and I can start afresh and I can do that with a whole lot more compassion towards myself than I've ever been able to do. Jean, don't we wish that for so many people in the world that they can have some compassion, more compassion and love for themselves and 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 forgiveness. And make peace. Make make peace. peace. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Now, my friend, okay, if people have some yearning issues or what have noticed some behaviour or there's something that they still feel traumatised by, Mm -hmm. 
and they think EMDR may be for them, how can they yeah. reach out to you? Sure. So my Instagram page is probably the best place. That's mm-hmm. where I'm most active. And it's there'll probably be a link somewhere, but it's called repairing underscore relationships. Yes. I've got quite a wait list to get in to see me. But often people will say, I've been dealing with this issue for years, so I'm happy to book in, even though it might be, you know, a little bit further down the track than they'd like in that moment. But I'm also developing some resources. There's some free resources on my website, Mm -hmm. tracylynch.com.au, which which start the process of the resourcing. So there's some guided meditations and things that can start to activate that good gear we're talking yep. about. And I'm in the process of developing other resources this year. So that's the best place to find them. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. <clears throat> You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're now. amazing. And I, you. I follow your Instagram and, you know, we're friends on Facebook. And yeah. I know I'm forever um, love seeing your posts and and. and I'm inspired by them and, you know, I just think you're wonderful. Thanks, Mel. Thank you so much for coming and sharing, Soul Sister. You're welcome. You're welcome, Soul Sister. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com.